0: Hey welcome to another edition of the Owl Once Was Lost podcast. We are the podcasting tool to the Once Was Lost Missing Persons phone application that you can find on iOS for Apple and Android devices wherever you get your podcasts from. Just make sure and uh, subscribe and also to download the Missing Persons application. Um, make sure and also please hit the five stars for us. That way, the algorithms can make it much easier for us to be found on Apple Podcasts. So keep in mind, everybody, as I say, every week over 800,000 children go missing in the U.S. alone. And a lot of these cannot just be prevented, but also solved just by using an app such as the Owl Once Was Lost phone application, again, for iOS and for Android devices. It works on the theory of large numbers. The more people that have the application... Which obviously is free uh, to download and keep. That the easier it is for us to get boots on the ground and have people looking in your area, God forbid the worst occurs. Also, we're open for help on patreon.com. That's P A T R E O N.com slash once was lost. That's O N C E W A S L O S T. And just pledge $3 a month. Help us to maintain the app. Keep the podcast running. There's some higher tiers in that that have some merch included, but you know, just the $3 a month would be showing your support and you would be part of the solution and not a part of the problem. So that's really what we're looking for is for people to help out on that aspect and be, again, a part of the support for the missing out there. So the last we left this, we had a lot of these tabloids that were gunning for the Ramses. Of course, there was a lot of uh, information out there concerning the family and how they were being singled out by uh, the detectives. And most of the uh, headlines read, Daddy did it, Binet autopsy, Mom and Dad guilty, or the handwriting evidence, Fingers Patsy the Mom wrote the ransom note. And again, it was kind of weird at the time how they were even getting a lot of this information. But the Globe came up with a graphic crime scene, photographs of the Ramsey house at that time, but the National Enquirer held its own, publishing a chat with Patsy out shopping while the star ferreted out that a large amount of child pornography had been downloaded on access computers. In January, the Globe offered a reward of $50,000 for evidence leading to the arrest and conviction of the child's killer. That prompted the Ramses to raise the $50,000 reward they had offered to $100,000. In July, the Globe upped the ante to $500,000. That's a lot of money, especially in the 90s. Citing unnamed sources within the investigation, the tabloids have laid out two primary theories. The first has it that John Ramsey killed his daughter after a, quote, sex game that went awry, the second posits that Patsy Ramsey walked in on her husband, molesting the child, grabbed a heavy object, and swung at him but hit her daughter by mistake. A variation on this theory has it that Patsy, in a rage, struck her daughter or threw her against a hard surface. Both theories suggest that John Bonet's death was not planned but accidental and then elaborately covered up. And why have the Ramseys not sued? Perhaps because a murder defendant actually has more of a right to privacy than a libel plaintiff? He can always take the Fifth Amendment. If he sues for libel, he loses the privilege. Whether the Ramseys are innocent or guilty, says First Amendment attorney Floyd Abrams, I would advise them not to sue because they are suspects. And who would have to have answers to the most intensive and intrusive questions at that time if they were to do so? There is evidence to support certain contentions published in the tabloids, some contentions rather, that the autopsy report released in full by court order in August established that John Bonet died from a tremendous blow to the side of her head, which caused an eight and a half inch fracture. And from garreting, Dr. Richard Krugman, a specialist in child abuse brought in as a consultant by Hunter's office, says that there was a vaginal abrasion as well, which is a sign of trauma, but it's not a sign necessarily of sexual abuse. Dr. Cyril Wecht, A well-known forensic pathologist has no doubts that the 45-pound child was molested. If she had been taken to a hospital emergency room and doctors had seen the genital evidence, her father would have been arrested, he said. The vaginal opening, according to Dr. Robert Krishner of the University of Chicago's pathology department, was twice the normal size for six-year-olds. The genital injuries indicate penetration, he says, but probably not by a penis, and there is evidence of molestation that night as well as previous molestation. There were also blood and urine stains on her underpants. A considerable obstacle to investigators, according to one well-placed source in the DA's office, was the fact that the crime scene and the body were cleaned up, although not sterilized. Adding to the mishaps, the coroner didn't examine the body until seven hours after it was discovered and then spent only ten minutes at the crime scene. That's, That's just... Crazy, folks. Anyways, most stunning, according to some experts, was the revelation that the child had evidently been redressed after her murder. John Bonnet's parents told investigators that she was wearing a red turtleneck pajama top when they had put her to bed. She was found in a white one. A red turtleneck was in her bathroom sink. Navy blue fuzz balls adhered to her body, and investigators are searching for a match to those. Casting doubt on the theory that an intruder killed John Binet, where the state and the position of the child's body, she was fully clothed and covered with one of her blankets. The ligatures around her neck and right wrist were, as investigators say, very loose and consistent with the staging. Moreover, there were no signs of forcible entry and no footprints in the melting snow around the house. Greg McCrary adds that pedophiles and ransom kidnappers never overlap. Pedophiles grab the child, molest them, and discard them. Ransom kidnappers are in it strictly for the money, he says. Although the coroner did not specify at the time of death, or a time of death, a neighbor told police that she had been awakened shortly after midnight by a very loud piercing scream coming from the direction of the Ramsey house. The Ramseys told police they had heard nothing. John Ramsey's children from his first marriage, both Melinda, 25, and John Andrew, 21, Along with Melinda's boyfriend, Stuart Long, arrived at the Ramsey house at 7 55 p.m. on December 26th. Ramsey ran to the curb to meet them. Long, a medical school graduate, told police that Ramsey had said that John Bonet had gone to heaven and that he had found her body at 11 a.m., although according to police reports, he found the body at 1 in the afternoon. So that's a bit strange as well. The following day, investigators videotaped an interview with John Andrew at the conclusion of which they asked him what he thought an appropriate punishment for the person who committed this crime should be. After a long pause, he said, Forgiveness, incredulous to the detectives, went into the brutality of his half-sister's murder and asked him to reconsider his answer. Another silence ensued. Then he said again, Forgiveness, John Andrew Ramsey and Long declined to comment, considering that he isn't a Ramsey. There was really no place for this searing tragedy in the exemplary lives of John and Patsy Ramsey. Access Graphics had outperformed its best expectations and in 1996 had revenues of $1 billion. Patsy had celebrated more than a year of remission from her cancer, which struck her in 1993. She had great plans for her family, her work at the Junior League, and of course, John Bonet's career. The child had already been crowned Little Miss Charlevoix America's Royal miss national tiny miss beauty and little miss Colorado and had won more than a dozen talent and personality awards. The buzz on the pageant circuit was that this was going to be, this is a one-way trip basically for John Bonet, that she was going to win all of the different prizes. John Ramsey had been raised in the middle-class town of Okemos, Michigan. The elder of two sons, he had been described then and now as extremely quiet and reserved. His mother, Mary Jane Benet, a homemaker, died in the mid-70s and his father James was a decorated World War II pilot who ran the Michigan Aeronautics Commission until he retired in 1979. Ethelwyn Gibson, 82, who still lives across the street from the old Ramsey home, says of James, they always call them Tsar Ramsey because he really ran the airport this way. A Ramsey friend who met the elder Ramsey in the mid-80s recalls that he was very cold like John was with everybody. At Michigan State University, Ramsey became president of the Theta Chi chapter, and in 1966, he married a college classmate, Lucinda Pasch. Following ROTC training, Ramsey spent two years in the Navy, stationed at Subic Bay in the Philippines, while earning his pilot wings. After receiving his master's in marketing in 1971, Ramsey signed up for the management development program at AT AT&T, Jeff Merrick met with him that same year when Ramsey was living in Columbus, Ohio. He's extremely quiet, says Merrick, a handsome and gregarious man, adding, he could be very charming. In 1973, Ramsey moved his young family to Atlanta and went to work at a computer company. Although he and Merrick drifted apart, they stayed in touch. And in 1976, during a visit to Atlanta, Merrick and his then wife stayed with John and Lucinda and their children at that time. Jim Marino met with Ramsey on a business trip to Syracuse in the late 70s. We immediately became friends, said Marino. He was going through a divorce at the time, but he'd always check in with the kids. However, in his own quiet way, John Ramsey also had an eye for the ladies. According to police reports, his former wife, Lucinda, said it was a romantic liaison with a co-worker that was the last straw for her. Although Marino and Ramsey caroused and whored around together, Marino said Ramsey was notably discreet. You never got much out of him, said Marino. You wondered what he was all about. Although Ramsey walked away from his first wife with little more than his clothes and a car, he slowly began to prosper as he worked his way through a series of computer companies. His success, says Marino, was part of his appeal to women. He had money, he drove a Porsche, and he dressed nice. But he was shy. However, you could say that whatever he went after, he usually got. In 1978, Marino, after being injured in a motorcycle accident, was confined to a wheelchair for almost a year. John came and visited me and gave me a job, said Marino. He saved my life. Although the two went to work for different companies in 1980, they remained very close friends. In 1979, Ramsey caught a glimpse of a beautiful 22-year-old brunette in Atlanta and pursued her. Two years earlier, when a journalism major at West Virginia University Patricia Ann Paul had been crowned Miss West Virginia and had won a Talent Award for a dramatic reading at the Miss America pageant. Marino, who often double dated with Patsy and Ramsey, said his friend was deeply smitten with her. She was his Jackie Kennedy. In 1980, they were married in Atlanta's Peachtree Presbyterian Church. At 37, Ramsey was 14 years older than Patsy, and the couple settled into a modest Cape Cod house in the Dunwoody section of Atlanta which is a very, very nice area of Atlanta. I've uh, been there. It's very, very nice. Ramsey ran his own company, MicroSouth, from his house, and Patsy worked alongside him. After a series of business reversals, Patsy asked her father, Don Powell, a retired union carbide engineer, to help her husband's struggling company. And the word is, said Merrick, that John was going broke and Don bailed them out financially. Although Don and Nedra Powell were able to raise their three daughters, Patsy, Patricia, Pam, Pamela, and Polly, Paulette, in the middle-class town of Parksburg, West Virginia, both had endured hard-scrabble childhoods. Rescued by the GI Bill, Dawn had obtained a college degree, which led to a career at Union Carbide. Nedra saw Dawn as his great white knight, said Marino. In contrast to her laconic husband, the wiry Nedra was driven and relentless, determined to see that her daughters enjoyed more of the good things in life than she had. Nedra's vehicle for launching them into a prosperity was beauty pageants. So I did my first pageant when I was a junior in high school, Pam Pa told me. I won Miss Teen of America in 1976. I won the national crown for that. And I won a local country fair contest at the Wood County Fair in 1977, which Patsy also won. In 1980, three years after Patsy held the crown, Pam also was Miss West Virginia and a Miss America contestant. Nedra had become a fixture on the pageant circuit. She was involved in the whole Miss America pageant organization. When I met them, said Marino, she was one of the coordinators. Jeff Merrick didn't meet Patsy until 1982, though. He was on a business trip to Atlanta, and Ramsey invited him over for dinner. After dinner, we went to a big disco, and Patsy and I danced, but John didn't dance with Patsy. In fact, in the 20 years he's known him, Marino has never seen his friend show physical affection. I never saw John hug Patsy or even give her a kiss, even when we were dating, he said. The first time I saw them touch was after the murder, and I saw him hold their hand on TV when they left the church memorial. By the mid 1980s, John Ramsey, working with his father in law, was doing well enough to move into a sprawling colonial house in Dunwoody. Patsy saw to it that both of the Ramseys' daughters from his first marriage were given coming out parties. Judith Phillips, an ebullient, ab- ab- Attractive photographer, first met Patsy in 1984 when Patsy was working with Phillips' husband, Madam Development Company. In order to be friends with Patsy, you have to accept her into the family because they are such a big part of her life, especially her mother, said Phillips. Sometimes Nedger was obnoxious and said things that were so so-called out of line and shocking, but the woman is unbelievable in her loyalty towards her daughters. Patsy and Judy Phillips, Raising children roughly the same age were drawn to each other. Although there were differences, Patsy was very pro-life, said Phillips. I was a feminist. Patsy, who was involved in Atlanta's Junior League and a ladies who lunched charity called Society, and up until the birth of her son, Burke, she worked. Phillips said Patsy had very expensive tastes. She had 18th century artwork and exquisite antiques, and John had very expensive and classic tastes when it comes to his clothes. He liked his toys. He had his boat named Miss America and a plane. In 1989, Ramsey merged his company with Boulder-based Access Graphics and another firm. He seized control of the new company and in 1991 relocated his family to Boulder. Among his new hires were his old friends Jeff Merrick and Jim Marino. Ramsey then said they hit the jackpot, selling access to Lockheed Martin and continuing to run it as president and CEO, Judith Phillips, who had moved to Boulder three years earlier, wondered if Patsy would have had a hard time making the transition from the antebellum capital of the South to a small town full of hippies, Buddhists, and mountain climbers. <laughs> that, that pretty much sums up that area. However, Patsy, now the mother of the four-year-old Burke and newborn John Bennet, assured her that she was ready to have a different life. Don Paul adapted easily and moved into a company condo on Pearl Street Nedra Paw, however, made no bones about her feelings concerning Boulder, referring to it as that hellhole. In November 1991, the Ramses purchased a 6,800-square-foot Tudor-style house in one of Boulder's choice neighborhoods for about $500,000. Over the next two years, Patsy remodeled and decorated her new home, spending, according to Jim Marino, $700,000. She was thrilled to have the house listed on the Boulder Christmas tour, as well as on the home tour. Visitors recalled her greeting them at the door with John Binet and Burke by her side, all of them in matching sweaters. Featured in John Binet's room were her trophies, sachets, and medals. One visitor said that in huge master bedroom suite, Patsy's Miss West Virginia dress and her Miss America competition sash were laid out on the bed. Although the Ramseys had been Presbyterians, they joined St. John's Episcopal Church. Social climbing, said Marino sadly. That's what it was about. She wanted to be where the money was. Friends were dropped as well as replaced, and attractive wealthy boulderites were made friends with, Marino says. I was never invited to his house. John and I were, let's get a beer down at the local pub after work. All right, guys, we're going to take another break there, and we're going to pick up on the third part of this four part series next week, please hit the five stars for us and please, you know, kid up patreon.com forward slash once was lost. Uh, you know, help us out with the $3 a month. That's just enough. You know, a couple of cups of coffee over an entire month, maybe two <laughs> actually, and you could greatly help our efforts here. And also obviously go and download the app. If you've got children or you have any elderly grandparents, family members, anybody struggling, either mentally or physically, this is the app to have and it can literally save somebody's life or even your own. So thanks again, guys, and we'll see you next week.